Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, January 30th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, after years of waiting, patients in Mississippi have access to medical marijuana. Then Jackson's third-party water administrator lays out a financial plan for the city's system and billing. Plus, recognizing a leading figure in Mississippi's art community ahead of the Governor's Arts Awards. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I never thought it would come to Mississippi. I was very surprised. I voted. I voted yes. So did like 75% of the state. So, Governor, hear that. Michael Cobe of Natchez was one of a dozen or so patients visiting the cannabis company this past weekend. The Brookhaven-based medical marijuana dispensary made its first sale on Wednesday and quickly ran out of inventory. After a new shipment of product arrived Friday afternoon, they were ready for a rush of patients on Saturday. Kobe was one of the first customers, and he was back. He told our Kobe Vance he's happy with how the medical marijuana program is going so far. I'm a diabetic. I have all kind of stomach issues, and it really, you know, it helps me better than the panthesol and the chemicals that my doctor has prescribed me. How long were you waiting to be able to get this kind of medication? I had cancer eight years ago, and I started the habit back up then for, you know, calming nerve, you know, depression. Uh, I think it's great. You know, people, you know, some people are going to abuse it just like some people abuse prescription drugs. But most of the people are going to be civil and peaceful and do what they're asked and told to do with the product. I want to get your thoughts about you know, getting to come in here to the dispensary. What's it been like as a customer? You know, actually, for the most part, it's been great. I've been early in line, so that's grateful. First day was a little hectic, but that was the company's first day as well, so they had to get their P's and Q's and everything right. So everybody had to wait a minute, but it was, it was all very peaceful, very nice. You know, I'm sure people were, I want to get in, but wait your turn, and, you know, everything's going to be nice. Have they been able to answer all your questions? Oh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. It's been, you know, they're very knowledgeable about their product and what it can do for you, so it's it's been fun. The store is co-owned and operated by Leanne Penn and Mitch Parker. Penn says there was some bumps along the way, but patrons and owners alike are adjusting to the new industry. We have worked so hard, and we have been working at it for so long. Um, Mitch and I for three years, um, some longer than that, five to six to get this in the, in the state. So it has been a long time coming, but it's a wonderful. It's, the feeling is, um, you just can't describe it. What's the reaction been from patients? All smiles, all smiles, and they're all like, you know, we're slammed, we're waiting, we're waiting on trucks, and and some sit out here for three hours. We had some patients actually on Thursday. We sold out Thursday about 1230 or 1230, and that happened because we only received half of our order on Wednesday. If we'd received the whole, we probably wouldn't have sold out. But anyway, we shut the doors at, at about 1230, 
we had people sit in the parking lot for four hours that had driven from the coast, from Hattiesburg, from all these places, waiting on that truck to come. And um, were just as happy as they could be to sit out there because they've been waiting too. And, and they were just as ready to get that medicine as we were just as ready to give it to them. As a dispensary, what's the process like when patients come in? Well, they first enter. Of course, you have to have a medical cannabis card. And when you enter into our facility, you will present your um, state ID. It has to be valid. It cannot be expired. Your driver's license or a state-issued ID and your medical cannabis card. One thing I would like to say was we had a patient come in here whose driver's license was not very, they were in a bad shape. And we would not sell to him unfortunately because we couldn't we just didn't feel comfortable and we have the ability and the state gives us the right to deny it uh, to deny anybody um, because of that because of the compliance and because of all the issues that go along with it so that was the only I think the only thing from a patient standpoint that was negative uh, because it upset them of course and um, for the most part, they've all smiles, and they're like, we're so glad y'all are open. Thank y'all for doing this. Thank y'all for being here, and just on and on. Going back to the shipping processes, um, y'all, uh, do you think the state's able to keep up right now, or do you think things might level out in the future? Well, it's actually, this is not, uh, yes. First of all, yes, it will level out in the future. Uh, this, I think our problem here logistically is we don't have enough transportation companies, and then the logistics of, of transporting it because of all those compliance issues has made it a little hard. Um, but as far as things go with the state, I think hopefully hopefully they'll get some more people to help with the, uh, doing the patient cards because since we were able to open, our doctor here in Brookhaven is, is booked out for, five, for six weeks. What has it been like just knowing that the state is having such a a close watch on this program and how y'all have to navigate that. Well, it um, it can be scary, I guess, and a little bit um, nerve-wracking at times because, you know, when Mitch and I decided we were going to do this, we both said we were going to do everything by the book, everything above board, just like the state wanted it, that we wanted to kind of set the standard in Mississippi for how a dispensary is supposed to run and that is a huge huge part of it so it does make you nervous and you're constantly double checking and rechecking and recounting and calling um, but I have to say with the tools that the technology that we have with our point-of-sale system and metric it is easy to communicate between both systems and it's automated so it's once you get your figures and everything it's just a couple of buttons you know, and it then it's and it's over with. Uh, lastly, I wanted to just kind of end out on advice you might have for patients or other business owners in the field. Uh, what would be your advice now that you have like a, a few days under your belt? Gosh, that would be so hard to decide because I've seen so many things. You know, for one, we are here as of now cash only, and this business is a huge cash only business. I would say to a patient, be prepared with enough cash when you go, just in case, because if you hit a dispensary, especially until more get open, they get so busy their ATM might run out of cash because that's right where I am today. I have no cash in my ATM, and I'm waiting right now for somebody to drive from Lafayette to fill it up because I can't do that myself. It's a compliance issue. So so just that would be one thing I would say. Uh, 
probably wouldn't hurt if, you know, we had two ATMs, it looks like at this point. I don't know. But other than that, and then just the patient making sure that they, you know, that their ID is readable and their card. One thing I would like to say that we ran into that's been a big deal is when they print their card out that the state, their patient card that the state sends them, we've had some patients that would shrink them and laminate them. Laminating hadn't been the issue. The issue has been is when they alter the size, the barcode won't scan. And we end up having to try to have them look up on their portal so we can type those numbers in, and it just takes so long to do that. So one thing I would like to put out there and say is to make sure that when you print it off, just leave it the size it is when it comes out from the state because we can't scan it if you don't. Leanne Penn is the co-owner of the cannabis company in Brookhaven. For patient Zachary, who has relied on getting medical marijuana outside of the state, having an option closer to home is a welcome change. I'm actually coming off of um, of opiates. Um, I fractured my back three years ago, and I've been on heavily on opiates, so uh, this will ha- actually help me out, get off opiates. Oh, that's great. Um, anything you'd like to tell other Mississippians who might be interested in using medicinal cannabis as a way to you know, better their lives? I would give it a uh, a try for sure, especially if you're on heavy opiates because cannabis is homegrown instead of made in a lab. So I would give it a a good try. Only a specific list of medical conditions currently qualify for medical cannabis license in Mississippi, which must be issued by a certified physician. Coming up, Jackson's third-party water administrator lays out a financial plan for the city's system and billing. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Want to keep up with MPB? Go to mpbonline.org, or you can find us on social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at mpbonline. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The interim manager of the Capital City's water system has a new financial plan. Ted Hennepin was appointed by the Department of Justice late last year to reform Jackson's troubled system. Part of that is upgrades and improvements to infrastructure. But Hennepin says the financial piece of the puzzle also needs major correcting. The system is really strained financially, no doubt about it. If you, when the, we're basically in violation of all the bond covenants, we've got a lot of debt. Uh, we're just in trouble from a financial standpoint. And without some course correction, the Jackson water system's not going to get better. The billion dollars we've gotten, rough numbers, that's from all sources on the federal side, and that's outlined, again, in the plan, sort of the best accounting we could come up with, and there's still probably things we missed. Uh, That's going to do wonders to get the system back in working order. But it's not going to keep it in working order if we don't have a recurring source of revenue locally that can support to maintain and operate the system the way it needs to. Good utilities have cash reserves. The way we're monitoring our goal, we set our goal based on 
the rating agencies. So, you know, when you want to borrow money, you got to go up to New York and you got to visit with Standard and Poor's, Fitch, and uh, Moody's. And they hold a lot of power because they determine based on their analysis what your credit rating is going to be. And that means will you be able to access credit on the, on the private market? What will the rating be dictates the amount you have to pay for that credit. But on the municipal side, critical to get a strong rating. Really hard to get AAA, and that's sort of the gold standard. We didn't set that as our goal in this. And right now you're in the B, double B, lower, minus B, minus. I mean, you're in the, all the letters don't seem that far apart. It's basically junk bonds. We could not go to the market today and borrow money for the city of Jackson's water system. Hennepin's plan will relieve the water system of its debt and introduce a new billing model that will become effective in the budget year that begins on October 1st. The proposed reforms would allow Jackson to pay for the cost of improving and operating a water system that's in such disrepair it could fail again at any moment. And Hennepin says trust is also a factor when determining billing methods. The billing system here is very challenged, has a history of some metering challenges, so we're looking for a way to bill maybe without having to worry about building trust in the meters again. Because frankly, I don't know how anyone in this city trusts a bill they would get if they got a bill. Because we've had challenges for eight years getting bills out, or maybe before. But that's date back to the Siemens metering fiasco. And for many reasons, that failed. You know, We went through a long period of time when we were trying to use por portions of their billing system, portions of our old billing system got a new contract in place. Really, we're dealing with three different sources trying to get that coming into a billing system and generate bills. We've changed the system. It's no reason, it's no wonder it's not working very well. I mean, it, we've complicated this thing. I don't think for any one person's problem, it was just the way the circumstances have built up. But I'm convinced that building confidence in our ability to meter your consumption and bill for water is a, is a bridge too far for this. I mean, it, it might happen in a decade. It might happen in two. I, I could definitely think we could get the meters in place and, and maybe fix the billing system in a year or two. I don't think I can build the confidence in that meter system in a generation. The plan will undergo a period of public comment. Hannafin hopes that will only improve what his team has already drawn up. So I worked for a city manager in the city of Hampton, uh, where I currently reside. Uh, he, for, he then became mayor. Uh, I loved him, a great guy, and he always would preface a lot of things with, I reserve the right to be smarter tomorrow. And that has been my mantra since he told me that. And so, you know, I'll get more information through this community input. We'll get more information from all sources, all sources through this feedback. And so that will make this plan better, and that's sort of how I'm going to be smarter tomorrow by, uh, by the ideas I'm going to get from others, and I'm going to steal them. I might not even credit you with them, but I'm going to put them in, uh, and we'll get them in place if they're good for Jackson and good for the people of Jackson. The financial plan is online at jxnwtr.com. That's jxnwtr.com. Coming up, recognizing a leading figure in Mississippi's art community ahead of the Governor's Arts Awards. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, 
an associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The annual Governor's Arts Awards are this Thursday. The event, done in partnership with the Mississippi Arts Commission, honors achievements in the visual and performing arts. This year, Betsy Bradley, director of the Mississippi Museum of Art, is being recognized for leadership in visual arts and community. Bradley joins Leslie Barker of the Arts Commission to share her journey and discuss what the museum offers the Magnolia State. Greenville was a very special place to grow up. Mm-hmm. And I think um, from from a very early age, I had a sense that there was, as you, Dora Welty called it, a sense of place there. Mm-hmm. Often it was informed by the river, um, being right on the river, by the cotton industry uh, that, you know, the landscape that's just so dramatically flat. It really was um, and continues to be a source of comfort for me to drive through that landscape. In high school and in other parts of my education, I was really fortunate to have teachers that focused on the art forms that had come from Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And so I I had a class on Mississippi writers, and I loved that, knowing that the place I was growing up had produced so many important voices mm-hmm. in American literature. And I took art lessons. It was just It was just a rich place like that. Greenville is and was a place where people feel compelled to travel and to learn and come back and have rich conversations with each other. They're, they they love to sit down over a good meal and talk about what they're learning and reading and thinking about. And, of course, when I got to be older, I learned more about the parts of Greenville and the Delta and the art forms like the blues music Mm. that came from there that stemmed from very, very different experiences than I had growing up, but that made it even richer uh, of a place to call home and to really be inspired by as Mm. I continue my life. I want to know about how you got to the Mississippi Museum of Art. Well, I had worked there earlier as the education director, and they were they were at a transition where the the my predecessor left and i just got a call and i got mm-hmm. a call from jane hyatt and i always you know followed her advice but she was on the museum board at the time and mm-hmm. and part of the search committee and and actually serving as interim director and so she asked me to apply and the more i thought about it my family was growing and i thought you know, being settled in one place would be exciting. But also, I had been advising organizations about how to run their operations. And I thought, I really need to see if I can do this myself. (laughs) And so I knew it was a steep learning curve because Mm -hmm. I'm not a curator and I didn't have a degree in art history. So I could surround myself with those 
those people with that expertise. And I just, I just tried it. And it's been a great run. It really has. What do people can people expect if they visit the museum in the permanent collection in the art garden? Tell us about those things. The permanent collection uh, is is up in the main galleries as you walk into the museum. You know, when we opened that building in two thousand and seven, we had a new opportunity to mm-hmm. showcase our permanent collection and tell stories about Mississippi in an ongoing way and also have changing exhibitions. So we had an exhibition called The Mississippi Story up for the first 10 years. We were in that building. It was curated by Patty Carr Black, who is a beloved and brilliant uh, scholar who ran the uh, history museums for a long time during her career. And we opened right before covid a reinstallation of those galleries in an exhibition that is inspired by a poem by Margaret Walker. Uh. So the poem is called um, This Is My Century, Black Synthesis of Time. Mm. And so the exhibition is taken from another line from that poem. It's called New Symphony of Time. And it traces themes that show up in that poem. It's not about the poem, but the poem is Mm. about life in Mississippi and its relationship to the world. And so there are themes about migration and ancestry and home building, identity and humanity, and our relationship with the land Mm. uh, that really are brought forth through some great works of art that we've that we've collected over the years. Betsy Bradley is the 2023 recipient of the Governor's Arts Awards, Leadership in Visual Arts and Community. All 2023 recipients will be recognized at the two Mississippi museums in downtown Jackson on Thursday, February 2nd at 6 p.m. The Governor's Arts Awards will air on MPB television on Friday, February 10th at 8 p.m. Coming up, or rather, this is Mississippi Edition. We're done on MPB Think Radio.